attractions to the same sex, unprocessed childhood trauma, porn addiction. Our marriage seemed doomed. If marriage is primarily about attraction, it was. If marriage is a gospel picture, it absolutely wasn't. An impossible marriage, what our mixed orientation marriage has taught us about love in the gospel, a book endorsed by Matt and Lauren Chandler, Ann Voskamp, Gabe Lyons, and Marvin Williams is now available for pre-order. Find it at impossiblemarriage.com. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 144, Masculinity and Sexuality. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I am with my favorite licensed therapist, Dark Isle expert, and my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. And of course, we do have the most professional radio voice among us with the cool new shoes, producer (laughs) Steve. Hi, guys. He does have cool new shoes. We just (laughs) talked about them ad nauseum. They're very comfortable. Guys, tomorrow, you know what we're doing? Matt and I are going to be doing a live marriage workshop, and some of what you hear today... You're going to get at this workshop. It's going to be a mix of our weirdness, as our kids say all the time. Dad, mom, you're so weird. We go, good weird or bad weird? And then they just stop for a second and look at us. Most of the time they say good weird, but sometimes it's bad weird. So it's going to be a mix of our just being uniquely ourselves, as well as getting really real and gritty and practical. And we would love to see you. Go to lauricreek.com. You can register at the link there. But today, do you know who we're interviewing today for our third in the final of the mini series that we're doing on our Impossible Marriage book? You know who it is? It's Matt Creek. He's brilliant. He's a verbal processor and a teacher at heart, and we're going to capitalize on that verbal processing by pushing record. Bless you, honey. But hi, Matt. First, hi again. Hi. And now I'm going to do your bio. How do you feel about that? Uh, okay. He is a licensed therapist, as I say every week. And he has a degree in youth ministry. Did you guys know that? And theology and counseling. Wasn't your master's in both theology and counseling? Or did they like slap on a theology degree because you did it at a seminary? Um, It's not actually a theology degree. It's just counseling. I mean, theological stuff was a part of it, but I I do not have a theology degree to go along with my counseling. Okay. But you had to take like Greek and Hebrew and stuff. That was for youth men. Oh. That was undergrad. So apparently Matt and I have been married for 11 years. And there's lots I don't know about him. <laughs> anyway. He's Did you been, know I'm left-handed? I do know that. Okay, good. And he has been practicing therapy uh, in the state of Michigan for the last five years. And his specialties include like sexuality, trauma. What else, Matt? What else you got? Your specialties for counseling? Uh, marriage. Marriage. Any, anything <laughs> anything related to, to sexuality is typically the spot that I go to. Yeah. Um, batting a hundred here today, guys. And he has three <laughs> awesome kids and a super perfect wife. I did put that in the notes, but now I just can't even joke say it. <laughs> uh, who, this perfect wife, air quotes around that, never shoves microphones in his face and says, here you go. Uh, but really, uh, wait, Matt, do you hate that? Do you hate that we do this thing called podcasting? Yeah. No. And like, I don't know. There's so many times like, Matt, that's brilliant. Let's talk about that. How do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I, I am good with, with that as long as it doesn't feel like I'm just being used, but yeah, let me go back to that perfect wife thing and just quote a little John legend Oh no, for you, all of your perfect imperfections. Oh, and just go, we'll leave it at that. Thanks Matt. Okay, guys, I'm excited to dive in because we got some things to talk about. We got some things from the book, but then also things that Matt and I have been tossing around the old kitchen while we're cleaning up perpetually. Um, 
But let's do a little question of the week from last week, which it is this. What's something you are actually thankful for in 2020? We just, everybody needs a little pick-me-up. So let's talk about something we're thankful for in 2020 instead of just doing the memes, which aren't untrue. It is true. This year is challenging. But Matt Krieg, which audience answer stood out to you? Mm -hmm. Well, it was one that, that I am also thankful for. So I'm going to go with Andy from Facebook, who just says healthy children. Um, and when I thought about it, I was just like, oh, wow, there was that one time back early in the summer where we were like our youngest Ellis had a like 105 fever for multiple days. And I was really thinking that, that he was in dire straits and, and just remember like being broken on the floor, mm -hmm. um, just crying out to God. And, and the fact that all of our kids are healthy is definitely something that I am thankful for. It's awesome. Steve. I really liked uh, what Michelle said. Hey guys, so here's what I'm thankful for. You know, I'm really thankful for my husband, our friends, and my husband's family. They are so supportive and so encouraging. Mm. Um, yeah, I just, I like that. I, I'm going to make the understatement of maybe uh, the year 2020. This has been a tough year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of things. Uh, one thing was just kind of a major change in my job. So I work with kind of a, a partner and so I lost that partner and uh, so we had to replace her and it's just, you know, you just do a job, so you're, you're looking for someone to hire. Which and to be clear, she didn't die. No, she I'm sorry. She just couldn't yes. be in that position anymore. Right, right, yep. right. So, um, yeah, and there was nothing scandalous or anything no, no. like that. Uh, but, yeah, so now we're looking for someone uh, to replace that position. And it was a long and drawn-out process, made even more long and drawn-out because of the quarantine and everything. But, um, anyway, God worked it out that um, we hired my sister. Um, His actual sister. My actual sister, who uh, we actually get along really well for siblings. So, um, it's just been a really cool process of getting her moved from out of state to here. And, um, I would say that's kind of been the highlight of 2020 for me. I so, love it. Yeah. Hey, I've never done a plug for this, but I would like to do a little plug. If you guys want to hear Steve in the afternoons, <laughs> just look up, just Google WCSG. You do a good job. And it gives Thanks. me things to ask you about sometimes. Cause I yeah. listen, listen to Steve and that's why I asked about she his asked shoes. Me about the shoes. Yeah. I heard him talk about them. <laughs> so it is encouraging. I appreciated this. Hey, it's Jen Late from Massachusetts and the Pilgrimage Online Spiritual Formation Ministry. I'm a spiritual director, and so what I am grateful for is this week, um, during this pandemic, getting a new spiritual director for myself. Um, I've actually been without one for about a year, so I guess... I'm also grateful for the mildly trying circumstances this year that finally got me off my butt to look for a spiritual director. Totally worth it. So that's that's giving thanks in all circumstances. Like this stinks. I'm thanking you, God, because you're helping to get some heart stuff done in me. And um, this is a tough year. I've never released a book. I've never had three kids and released a book and run a ministry and had financial pain and all these things. Um, is so this what you're talking about? 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Thanks, Steve. If you guys wanted to see what he just held up to the screen, you can go to the old YouTubes, search up Lori Krieg, and you can find this on uh, the video. The video. <laughs> That's how you say it. Uh, no, but I've been, um, God has been pressing in on me that intimacy with him in the midst of chaos, whatever it is. We all got our 2020 pain uh, and 2019 pain and 2021 pain, but to just hang out with him in the midst of it is um, really where it's at. Like cultivating that closeness in the midst of wherever we are. And so I'm working on that and I'm proud that I'm like, I think I might be growing, am I? Am I growing? You know, where you don't respond in the same way as you might have even last year. So thankfulness. And Matt, I'm thankful for you. I really am. Thankful for you too. Thanks, Matt. So we're going to do a little bit of the gospel question. Can you do like a one minute version of your, the gospel is I'm more loved than I imagine yet more sinful than I believe, which guys, that is the reason we do this podcast is talk about the gospel and how it is good news for everyone every day, therapists included. Uh, but Matt, when was that gospel first good news for you and how is it good news for you this day? Yeah. So the, the first time the gospel was good news, when I go back to, to my childhood, um, just growing up in the church, I, I understood cognitively the gospel. Um, I don't think I actually really felt it until when I was 30, when I came, came clean to you with my pornography addiction and really faced the fact that I was and continue to be a sinner in need of the grace of God. That was one of the first times that it just hit me deeply. Yeah. Um, and the way I continue to need it today, um, I mean, he's, Jesus has to be my my sustaining um it's uh, especially this year like it's been hard um hearing a lot of sad a lot of a lot of hurt a lot of pain a lot of sadness from your clients from from just in the job that i work you know and and so to to stay to stay engaged emotionally is not something that i just can do on my own Mm. um because i retreat into escapism or random weird thoughts in my own head about velociraptors attacking our family, all that kind of stuff, just <laughs> randomness. Um, and you to, just give yourself thought experiments. Yeah, to, yeah. Yeah. I have jokes with myself all the time. Um, but, but to really stay engaged, it, it is something that I, at the beginning of the day, I, I need, I need to be able to go to Jesus. I need to hear, hear the gospel spoken over me. Mm. Um, and, and, Otherwise, I'm, I'm just going to be a shell of, mm. of a person, not good for counseling anyone, honestly. Oh, that's so good. And I know that's some of what we've been talking about. Some of those kitchen chats that I was alluding to are that emotional garden. If you guys read our book, we talk in chapter five just about the different gardens you can cultivate that we need to cultivate as single people. And then if you're called to marriage as in a, in a marriage on this mountain, we talk about. So that emotional garden we've been talking about, Matt, just how that's a weak space for you. Um But before we dive into emotions, I want to go there. I do want to read a section from the book, and I'm actually going to have you read it because this is your part in the book where you talk about sex, which that's a theme in the book, pause, really asking the question throughout the book, what is the purpose of sex? And above that's what's the purpose of marriage, specifically male and female marriage, but then you hear me wrestling with 
elevating marriage and sex to the gospel metaphor that it is. That's my part in the book. That's a lot of it. And Matt's part in it is dethroning it from the idol it's become. So that's the, that's a balance you hear throughout it. And it's who we wrestle. Uh, my sister, my little sister is one of my closest friends got done reading with it a couple of days ago. And she said, dang, Lori, you don't look so good in this book. I was like, you're right. But Matt, she said, your parts, everyone says this, dear Matt, they say your parts are some of the best in it. And I think some of it is because I don't know. I just don't, uh, I don't want to like do pride stuff, but I just want to say, I'm thankful for the sanctification that God has done and is doing in you and other men like you and other women around you. And we love featuring their stories on this podcast. But Matt, the part you're going to read is where you talk about fasting from your desire for sex. I'm going to say it again because it's so weird. Fasting from your desire for sex. That's a weird phrase. I never heard it before and I've only heard it from your mouth. Uh, it doesn't make sense until it's on paper. So can you read some of that paper? Yeah. Yeah. So I had begun fasting from my desire for sex. Wait, I, what page are you on, Matt? I am, in case oh, people want to read along. Yeah, I am on page 75. Thank you. So I had begun fasting from my desire for sex. Every time I have shared that sentence with other people, their faces go blank. What does that mean? And the idea came to me after one of our pastors preached a sermon on fasting. And he said, fasting is the physical exclamation point at the end of the sentence. This much, oh God, I, I long for you. When we fast from a good thing like food, we are supposed to use the physical hunger pangs to say, God, this much, oh God, I long for you. Did I long for God? Could I long for him in the midst of my desire? When Lori turned away from me again, put her sleep mask over her eyes and acted in a way that again felt like a rejection of my person, could I take that good, physical, emotional, spiritual longing for sex to God? This much, oh God, I long for you. I didn't know if I could, but I wanted to try. So every night when Lori turns away from me, I shared with the guys, my, my mind shifts from sadness to anger to looking at God. God, please help Lori. Please heal this physical aspect in our marriage. Both Ryan and Caleb nodded. Those are our small group friends. Those are our small group friends. But my prayers reflect what I worship. I want sex with my wife more than I want God in my life. And that had to change. So now you're talking. You're not doing mm -hmm. the book. Yeah, now I'm, the, book, the book is here. I'm going to place it over yonder. <laughs> yeah. So that had to change. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Yeah, it had to change because I, I recognize that in my just staring at this hope for sex. Well, let me rephrase that because I can hope for sex. And that's not a bad thing within a marriage. But if I put my hope in sex mm. that that's that's altogether different and that's where i found myself was was in this place of of hoping that our marriage got better so that i could be comfortable and continue to pursue what had become an idol in my life and so just like food fasting from food which that's not something that we often think at least in western churches that we often engage in we don't fast as much as we probably should and as, as much as is expected biblically um you know, but, but to use that hunger pang to, to not just say, okay, God, this, how, this is how much I long for you, but also as a physiological reminder to turn to God as opposed to turning to whatever this thing that we could run to is, in that case, food. And so for me, one of the challenges that I gave myself was this idea that, okay, when I feel 
arousal, when I feel desire for sex, when I feel that longing for physical sexual intimacy, I need to use that, what, like, have my body even remind me, okay, go to God. Don't just stare at Lori. Don't just stare at this idea that one day sex will make me whole. But, but to, to take that to God. And so in my prayer, and it was hard mm. to kind of stop that well-worn path in my mind to, to go to sex and to look at it as, as the need meter for me, but to, to instead turn to God and say, God, I know that I'm created for you, mm. not for sex. Okay, Matt, we've also been having... Also, yay, awesome, thank you. But we've also been having conversation, kitchen chats. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're going to rename the podcast. <laughs> About male Christian leaders falling sexually. And um, again, I've been talking about a little bit of growth in my life. Praise Jesus. I've been so thankful for growth in my heart where I am not like a raging ball of feminism <laughs> when I see this. And God has started to soften my heart. And it's so much because of uh, you humanize the masculinity to me and you help me understand why. So Matt, obviously, you know, we're, we're not, I'm not going to point fingers right now, but there's enough. We could mm-hmm. throw a stone, like a, whatever, a block away and you can run into sadly a male Christian leader who has fallen sexually in your perspective. I'm sure there's many answers, but why does this happen? Well, I mean, I think part of it is the the way that we are raised. Um, you as men or as... as well, the, the, the way that we are raised as men, at least in our culture, in, in Western American culture, the, the whole concept that, that, well, boys will be boys, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, and and it, it basically means, okay, you're you're going to have these desires and you're going to pursue them and there is absolutely no reason or nothing that you can do about it. Boys will be boys. That's what they say. And and that that is what they say. And so there's this kind of baseline that, okay, this is, it it takes this desire that we have and it elevates it to this thing that is unavoidable, a true need. That that if you are male, that you have a sex drive and that you must pursue it at some level, whether that's daily, weekly, monthly, it doesn't matter, that, that at some point this becomes an irresistible force in your life. That's um, just the standard. That's, yep, that, boys that be is, boys. It's every man's battle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and that, that kind of is standard operating procedure. That's the baseline for, for what we expect of men. Mm. Um, and we, we, we say that in our churches to women, uh, that when married, okay, you must give to your husband in this way, and you must, and, and I hear it called often maintenance sex. Yeah. That, that he just needs it because it's, you know, it's been three days or it's been a week or whatever. The time frame does not matter because it boils down to the only reason I'm doing this is because it's a need for him. A physical need. A physiological need. Yep. And, and I will say very clearly, hopefully, that, that sex does have a powerful influence on the relationship. But if it was purely a physiological need, there would be no reason for anyone who has sex at, at any frequency to cheat. Mm. And, and the reason that happens is because sex is not just about physiology. It is about emotion. And there's so much emotional that happens 
underneath the surface. Okay, I need to repeat that because it's a lot in like two sentences. And this is something I keep, we, again, we keep going back and forth. So guys, you just said, if sex were purely physiological, well, it's just a man's need. You got to do this maintenance sex or he's going to go cheat. He's going to go, you know, you better shop in your store or he's going to go shop in another. If it were only physiological, then there would be zero porn use in between these physiological urges. There'd be zero adultery or affairs if it was only physiological and the wife was serving him on the regular. So you're saying, Matt, that there is an emotional connection to sex for men. There's a heart connection and we don't train that way. We treat men like dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so when I think of a specifically a Christian leader or, or really anyone who is in a leadership position, I don't even think it has to be Christian. But for a Christian leader in particular, they are typically cloistered off from community. They have to keep themselves almost above their, their parishioners, um, and, and they have to maintain an image of holier. Mm. And, and let's face it, they may be Christian leaders. They are still fallen, broken human people. And, and so if they're removed, that's also creating this, this distance from any supportive community that they could have. And, and so there's a pride issue. There's an expectation issue there. Um, and oftentimes because we are taught that, that sex is the thing that we're supposed to chase, we're not supposed to be these emotional people. We're supposed to, you know, pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and get the job done, mm. at least in stoic cultures. Um, we, we just run to what feels good. It's, it's this hedonistic thing. And it, it also has a physiological response. <laughs> like you, you get a lot of hormonal release in sex that, that quells some of that anxiety, some of that pressure that you might feel. There's a calming, a mood stabilizing thing that happens. And so it's, it's all very powerful, but it's not just this physiological thing. It's emotional. There's so much emotion beneath it. Um, and the funny thing is we, if, if a woman were to cheat, to, to run into the arms of another man, we would automatically assume, well, there's definitely an emotional component. Mm. And that's true, there is, but it, it's, it doesn't negate the fact that there's also an emotional component to men. We just don't recognize it. Ah, there's so much to say, so many questions to ask, because if I think about us as women, so we've kind of been trained, and I know I've said this to you, Matt, I've said it a thousand times. I say, Matt, I cannot overstate the training women get, which usually people are pointing the finger at 1 Corinthians 7, the training we get to offer this maintenance sex for lack of a better term, that it's your duty and you must do it. And so we view you as animals. You see yourself as an animal and yet there's this heart thing going on. So speak to people who are listening and they, you know, are, are like, well, how, how do we access this heart? Maybe it's talk first to, uh, women or wives who, how can we help to open up your heart? And then maybe we'll talk about men. How can you start to access and like even put words and language to this heart that we sadly have neglected? Well, I'm going I'm to speak to myself first because okay. as I know my emotional state, like I am not 
quick to identify and interpret and gain insight emotionally, even into my own life. Like I can intellectually talk about my emotions, but for me to actually actively present tense emote is, is very hard. It's, it's scary for me because that's a place where I feel utterly weak. Mm. Um, and so it takes courage. Um, and so for, for anyone out there who has a hard time emoting, there is a sense that, okay, it, it is going to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and it is something that takes courage to do. Um, for, for wives or for women out there or for really anyone who is trying to care for a man, one of the things that I think you can do is to not expect him to go from, from zero emotion to 10 all in one sitting. Just like we would not expect that of wives. Yeah. Physically. Phys- well, physically. And, and it's, it's not that he doesn't want to go there, that he doesn't have like this innate desire to be known. But it's, it's just, it's like he's, he's engaging a muscle that he's not used and, and it takes training and it takes, um, it takes work. And, and so when I think about our dynamic, Lori, um, in the marriage that we have, you have, well, you've always had an ability to, to get me to think emotionally. Um, and, and that was one of the things that really drew me to you was the fact that we could talk about things pretty deeply and you asked me questions and caused me to think about things and introspect in ways that I never would have done on my own. Um, and as we've gotten further into marriage, it's, at times it's scary because what, what you think of me matters so much <laughs> that, that there, there is this innate reaction that if I have a negative emotion, I want to kind of quench it down that's normal for me by myself, but it, it becomes heightened in this, in this relationship that matters so much to me because I don't want my uneasiness or my uncertainty or my fear to somehow make me diminished in your eyes. And so as, as a wife, I, I think that you, you need to take this, this place of strength and use that strength that you might have to cultivate and care for your husband. Mm. Um, just like, well, just like we don't want husbands. And if people come into my counseling office and quote first Corinthians seven to one another about like, she just needs to give me sex. I, I typically will speak very bluntly about that not being the case. Can you talk about that? Cause people might be listening like, well, Hey, you're supposed to give your bodies to each other. That's what first Corinthians seven says. Yeah, it, it, it does say that, but it's also a reflexive. It's a self, it's a self-assessment. Do not withhold yourselves, therefore, from one another. It's not something that you can take and demand mm. from someone else. And if you go later in 1 Corinthians to 1 Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter, love does not demand its own way. So there's this idea that, okay, you, you might be able to go and ask, like, hey, have you been withholding? And, and genuinely have it be a question, and that's fine. But, but the only person who can really determine that is, is the person who is looking inward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that that, that same thing, if you want to kind of expand it out for me, that means I can't withhold my emotion from you hey because it's not necessarily comfortable. Um, okay. I just need to like pause for a second because honestly, Matt, you know, our marriage book has been written, but this is a garden that we mm-hmm. talk about in chapter five that you and I are not great at. 
I think a big theme, like I said, of the book is what is marriage? How is God going to redeem this? And then what is the what is sex in marriage, which is a holistic thing? It's mind, heart, body, spirit. But there is a garden in our mountain, our marriage mountain that has not been cultivated well. And it's that emotional one. So like to even begin thinking about like, wow, you know, we've been working so hard on our physical connection for X years. And it feels like God's kind of turning the page to be like, all right, Matt, now it's your turn. Let's, let's cultivate your heart. Cause it was interesting, Matt, you said one of the things that you are attracted to in me was I made you think emotionally. Like your words were think and have conversations about, but I, it wasn't, you made me feel emotions, which that's, come on, therapist, come on. (laughs) But I don't, can you speak a little bit into maybe the challenge you and I are undertaking now to cultivate your heart? Yeah. It's something that with our marriage, I have not been expressive. Um, and that's not just a me and you thing. I'm not an expressive person. I don't get high. I don't get low. I am like, I have always like required myself to live in the middle, kind of steady Eddie. And well, you asked a good question the other night saying, is that how you're going to be in heaven? And the answer is no. I will be able to experience a full breadth of emotion without fear. Um, or sorrow, I guess. Um, but for, for me, I think one of the things that I've had to do is, is kind of remember the fact that you care for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that that you, you've never taken the stuff that I've said and then turned it around and used it to bludgeon me to death. You know, emotionally. You've never used my, my, my words to, to just utterly humiliate me in front of other people, you know, or, or myself, like you, in your anger, you don't just turn things and, and throw it back at me as a demeaning kind of barb. You, you don't, you don't play that game. And, and so for me, that, that is incredibly reassuring when I think about it. Mm. But, but that means I almost, and it's almost a mirror image of you, like, okay, so if we were physically together, you would have to go through this process of, okay, this is, this is my husband who, who loves me. And I am not, like, reminding yourself that I'm not your assailant. I'm not your perpetrator, you know, and I have to do the same thing. Mm. You know, and that's not just to be, like, deeply emotional. A lot of times that's to express any emotion, you know, you've asked me multiple times through our marriage, like, why don't I compliment you? Why don't I say the things that I think? You know, and you've asked for me to. And there's this fear that if I compliment you, that you are going to be like, ew, gross. Why would you say that? I don't really like you. <laughs> and I know that's not true. I cognitively know, left hemisphere of my brain, know that that's not true. But it still feels scary. It's vulnerable. It's vulnerable for me to put my real thoughts, my real heart out there is, is vulnerable. You know, people, people ask, okay, you do a podcast, you talk on stages. How can you be so vulnerable about porn use? And the truth is it's not. 
It's not vulnerable. I, I have no, there's no danger in me telling a room full of people from multiple states away about my porn use and that history. Like it, it's the not history. Gonna, of. Yeah. It's, it's not going to, yeah, it's not going to change my daily life. I don't know any of those people. I will probably never see them again. Mm -hmm. But what I do with you has the power to change everything. Mm. And so I, I guess to, to broaden it out, to try and generalize it, we have to see men as emotional beings who have been stunted by this idea that they're supposed to not be emotional and that emotional is somehow a mark of not manly. And that's one of the things that contributes to this running. Running to sex is the thing that, that fulfills and the inability to talk. Mm. And, and, and so as, as a wife out there, I, I would ask that, that you do maybe a self-assessment. Have there been times that your husband has been emotional and you have used it against them? That's mm. something to repent of. Just like if a man falls sexually, there needs to be repentance. Mm. Or a woman falls sexually, there needs to be repentance. I would jump into is a thing that I have to just slam my mouth shut on when you are engaging your heart, Matt, is editing you or mm -hmm. being impatient with you or steamrolling you, just shutting you right on down or demanding of you, which all those sorts of verbs could be used that men cannot do. And again, we're stereotyping that women are more the emotional, men are more the physical. So forgive us for those of you who fall out of these stereotypes or these generalities. So Matt, you can't bulldoze me. You can't run over me. You can't be impatient with me. And so there is this cultivation that we need to do as the one with the physical strength or the emotional strength. And it takes patient endurance. Matt, last question. How are you going to cultivate the heart of your son? So you have a one-year-old son mm -hmm. to not repeat this. This men are animals, terrible phraseology and just raising of our kids mm -hmm. that we've been doing. I mean, I think the first thing I need to do is model um, what a healthily emotional male looks like, which means I got to continue doing my own work. Um, but, but then the other thing is like to, to have honest conversations about, okay, the desire for sex to not make it the absolute worst desire in the world. I don't want to go crazy into like purity culture where then it hurts, you know, his ability if he is called to metaphor God through marriage. I, I, I don't want to set up a hurdle that, that he needs to, to overcome. I know I'm going to, I am imperfect. We are imperfect. Yeah. I know that he's going to have things that he's probably talking to a counselor about based on how we raised him. I hope he um, does. I but, mean, I don't want him to have pain, but I hope he has a counselor <laughs> someday. Cause yeah. yeah, you know, but I think for, for me, the biggest thing, I can't teach him emotions if, if I am not, I mean, I can teach him about emotions, but I can't model emotions if I am not able to do it on my own. So I think for me, honestly, the best thing that I can do is learn how to express emotions and to face that, that fearful spot in the company of a beautiful person who is safe. And, and now I'm talking about you. Um, because you don't just want to throw out your emotions to everyone. Right. Um, obviously, use 
you know, proper boundaries and everything, but to, to show him that emotions are not wrong. They're not scary. Well, they are scary, um, but they're not insurmountable. All right. So you guys can see why I like this guy. Um, and man, I'm just so thankful. Uh, just even looking at our son, we were saying this week, like, what if he wasn't here? Which if we hadn't made it through the story that we wrote about, he wouldn't be. So thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Matt, for being here today. Very glad to be here on this random <laughs> no guest day. I think we're saying this random podcast. We're just wandering around, and here I am. Oh, hey, there's a microphone here. <laughs> we should do a podcast. I think we should. Hey, guys, if you want to read this book, we'd love to share um, our hearts with you. And um, we just, like my sister said, I don't look good in it, but we just pray Jesus does. And you guys can get a discount, ivpress.com. Look up the old impossible marriage, impossible marriage, and put code love 30 there i think that expires november 3 so do it quick to get 30 percent off and free shipping we have a question of the week for next week we haven't done this one for a while it's maybe season one we did what's your favorite hot drink and what's it say about you favorite hot drink let's hear it thank you again matt krieg and for all of us here at the old hole in my heart podcast this random microphone just hanging out. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs>